The Sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota. The sermon first preached on August 8, 2010. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit shows us how much we need our Savior Jesus Christ and the riches he brings is the gospel today, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Then someone from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He said, Man, who placed me as a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Watch out and guard yourselves from all kinds of greed, because even when someone has a lot, his life is not about what he has. He told a parable to them. The field of some rich man produced a good harvest. He reckoned to himself, What should I do, since I do not have a place where I can gather together my harvest? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I'll gather together all the grain and all my good things, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good things laid away for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is demanded back from you. Who will get what you have prepared? In the same way is he who treasures up things for himself, but is not rich in God. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, wash clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Estimates ranged from between one to five million dollars. That's the price tag that some guessed for Chelsea Clinton's wedding that happened at the end of July. And that price tag brought out how much we love to criticize the rich and the way they at times spend their money. If you think about it, another time like that was I don't know, a year and a half or so ago when the auto industry CEOs flew into Washington on their individual corporate jets to ask for bailout money. And if you think ahead a bit, look at all the millions of dollars flowing into the election campaigns. We love to criticize how those millions, beyond our ability really to comprehend what that amount is, how they are all spent. And there's plenty of criticism to go around on the right and on the left, whether it's the Clinton wedding or Rush Limbaugh's private Gulfstream jet. As if we think to ourselves, you know, if they would only spend the money the way I want them to, just think of how many problems we could solve in this world. Now, besides the obvious problems with that kind of thinking, First of all, that it's not my money to spend to begin with, and even if it were, I would not prove as wise a manager as I imagine myself to be. Besides those obvious problems, there is a deeper problem here. Do we 
criticize the rich and their way of spending money to cover up our own hearts? Do we talk about their supposed misuses of wealth in order to justify our attitude toward earthly money and what it can buy? And is all this just a way to deflect the examination away from our own hearts so that we can continue on our merry way and do with our money, our stuff, as we choose? Jesus' parable here tears away our masks and calls on each one of us to examine our hearts before it is too late. What kind of barns are you building? What kind of riches are you storing up for yourself? What's the harvest you're looking forward to? Don't deceive yourself. Rather, enrich your life in God. That's the theme we focus on here this evening. Enrich your life in God. For you see, greed wants to rob us of that. But in the end, it is only God's barn that endures. And so, dear friends, enrich your life in God. Jesus says here, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. What a warning for you and me to take to heart. Now, the Greek word for greed has the same root as the word for more. Greed once more. Whether we already have a lot or barely enough to get by, greed wants to have more. It, it's like a bottomless pit. No matter how much you throw in, greed hungers for more. But there's other things for us to think about here too. For you see, so often we hear that word greed and we think of money. But notice how Jesus says, all kinds. Greed. Not only greed for money, but also for the other things of this earthly life. Stuff and status, security and satisfaction. It's not only the stingy miser who is fingering his pennies like Scrooge that is included here, but also the spendthrift who is constantly buying. And really anything in between, any level of greed, any degree is included as well. All kinds of greed, Jesus says. And finally, before we leave our definition of greed here, there is one other thing we need to pay particular attention to. And this is where we can often mislead ourselves into thinking that, that greed isn't my problem. You see, greed doesn't always make us feel that I have to have more right here and now. Sometimes the greedy heart will feel satisfied or even content with this or that. Just think of that rich man in Jesus' parable again. In a way, you could say he was satisfied with how the harvest came in, that final harvest. There's still greed there. For even though greed may not be wanting more at the moment, greed loves what we already have. For you see, greed is not a matter of the pocketbook, but a matter of the heart. It is a love of having. 
And that is why greed is focused on the earthly. And even though it may love what we have and at times feel satisfied with that, sooner or later it's also going to want a little bit more because it loves what we have. It wants to get more of it. So keep that in mind. Even if our heart might feel satisfied at the moment, if we love what we have, we are still guilty of greed. And to help us diagnose this deadly disease of greed in ourselves. Let's take a closer look at the symptoms we see displayed in the text here as we look at the two men. One a real man, the other fictional. First of all, that, that real man, that, that unnamed person who comes to Jesus and wants him to settle an inheritance dispute. Now, we have no idea how just his claim is or how unjust it might have been, but it doesn't matter. Jesus knows the real problem. He knows this man's heart. His heart is focused on the earthly. And so he views Jesus as just a means to get something more out of this life. He doesn't see the real reason why Jesus came, but is focused on the earthly and wants more of what he can get out of this life. Now, this man misses the real reason Jesus came. And we do see that in, in some of the churches out there today where the preachers promise their people earthly health and wealth if they tithe or if they believe hard enough or if they have a close enough relationship to Jesus. And it's true that they too miss the real reason Jesus came. But if we're just here to point fingers at others. We're again missing what Jesus is trying to do here. This is for us to examine our own hearts and not to deflect the examination and put the blame on someone else. Yes, you do know why Jesus came. He did not come to bring us earthly wealth but a heavenly inheritance. He came to pay the debt of our sin, not our monetary debt. But does your heart fully focus on this mission of Jesus? And maybe a way we can help diagnose ourselves here is, is to ask ourselves, when something in my life doesn't turn out as well as I had expected it to, does a part of me feel that Jesus has failed me in some way? See how that's looking to Jesus to improve our earthly lot? It misses why he really came? Or else consider our complaining. Even if our complaints don't explicitly blame God, they do betray a mind that thinks that God hasn't taken quite good enough care of us in our earthly life. That too is trying to use Jesus for our earthly advancement, our earthly gain. It's like this man saying, Jesus, tell life to give me my fair share. And isn't this wanting more out of life? Isn't that a kind of greed? And Jesus brings a point home all the more as he 
talks about this fictional man here. Again, as we look at the parable, we don't see any hint of dishonesty in this man's wealth. It doesn't appear in any way to be ill-gotten gains. He's a hard-working farmer. Who knows how many years he has toiled away and now the big payday has come in and he has a harvest so big that, well, he's going to have to build bigger barns. But as we eavesdrop on this man's thoughts, we begin to see the real problem in his heart. He's focused on his achievements, what he has accomplished on this earth, what he considers to be his rightful earthly gain. Listen to his thoughts and, and count just how often he talks about I or my. He says, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crop. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. He's focused on the earthly. And even though, as we said before, he appears to be satisfied with the harvest, yet there's also a hungering for more here, isn't it? Isn't there? A hungering for more of what he can get out of this life. More leisure, more recreation, more of the finer things of life, more of that peaceful retirement years. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Yes, we see greed at work in him, that love of what he has, that longing for more, that focus on the earthly And as we see all these different masks that greed wears, we begin to realize just how deeply it infects our hearts. Do we, like this man, work hard because we measure our worth by what we can accomplish in this life? That's the kind of focus on the earthly. That, that, that's longing to grasp and hold on and love what we have in this life, a longing for more of what this life can offer. Or as we think about what this man's plans are, we sometimes rationalize our greed by arguing that it's not really money we want, but it, it's those other things that we can get out of this life, time with our family or that family vacation or that that, that, that peaceful retirement years, that, that pursuit of happiness, that, that recreation, that leisure time, that too is a type of greed. In so many ways, that desire to hold on to the earthly, to focus on it and have it, infects our hearts. And how deadly that disease is. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? How dreadful those words are. For you see, greed loves what we have in this life and therefore wants more of it. And since it's loving what we have, it does not love God above all. No wonder Paul calls greed idolatry in that second lesson from Colossians 3 that was read earlier. Greed robs us 
of God. And it robs us of what God wants to give us. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. It, it robs us of heaven. It robs us of the inheritance that Jesus purchased for us. It robs us of the riches that Jesus' blood has won for us. How deadly greed is. How can we escape its grasp? What hope do we have? How can we enrich our life in God? Well, remember, dear friends, remember whose barn endures. The rich fool here was not rich towards God. He forgot that only God's barn endures forever. The forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, talked about God's barn as he talked about the work that Jesus was coming to do. He said, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The rich fool was chaff. Maybe his harvest would be safe in someone else's barn, but he was headed for those unquenchable fires. He wanted to build bigger barns, but he was not rich toward God. He forgot that only God's barn endures. Enrich your life in God. Take to heart what the Apostle Paul said in the second lesson here tonight from Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Enrich your life in God. Set your heart on things above. Set your heart, focus your heart on God's barn. Don't focus on what your hands can accomplish but focus on what Christ's hands, his nail-pierced hands, have accomplished for you. Set your heart on things above. Remember what Jesus said on that night before they nailed him to the cross. He spoke these words of comfort to his disciples. He talked about his father's house and he said, I am going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He's coming again. He's coming back to take his wheat into his barn. He's coming back to take his people home to heaven. So enrich your life in God, for only His barn endures. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Yes, dear friends, set your hearts on Christ, your risen and glorified Savior. See His hands in majesty, those hands that once were pierced with nails for you. 
see his face shine in the radiance of his divine glory, that face that once was drawn in agony and covered in our shame. See that head that once was crowned with thorns, crowned in glory now. Your Savior reigns. He is the one that enriches you in God. For you see, it is His holy, precious blood that has purchased for you a a treasure that nothing else could. His holy, precious blood has purchased for you forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation. No amount of gold or silver, no harvest or retirement account, not the labors of our hands could bring such riches, but only the blood of Christ, our God. And just as an earthly inheritance comes through a death, so also your heavenly inheritance has come to you through the death of one no less than our God Himself, Jesus Christ, God's Son. He died in your place. And just as in His death He died for your sins, so also by His resurrection you are co-heirs with Him through faith in Him. For you see, in baptism, you were baptized into His death and into His resurrection so that you have been reborn. Reborn as a child of God. Reborn as an heir of eternal life. The Apostle Peter reminds us of these things as he writes in his first letter, In His great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Yes, dear friends, only God's barn endures. It does not perish, spoil, or fade. And it is yours, for you have been reborn as a child of God and an heir of heaven. So enrich your life in God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Your Savior has bled and died for you. Yes, we could fret about the things of this world. We could worry about our earthly lot and and, and feel as if we needed more in order to be secure. We could. But why fret? Why worry? When your Savior reigns over all. He bled and died for you and me while we were still sinners fighting against God. How much more will He not do for us now that through faith you are children of the Heavenly Father, heirs of heaven? We could worry about our family finances or about our congregational deficit or about how much more work we could be doing as a synod if there were more money. And when times were good, we could glory in our successes or, dear friends, or we could enrich our life in God. Set your minds and hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Only God's barn endures. Amen. Please stand.
The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.